has never been publicly stated. The truth about President Kennedy is sometimes gallant, sometimes disturbing. The truth about how and why he was murdered is simply atrocious. But all Americans should know the true story. It's all here in this book. It is my special privilege to bring it to you. Prologue. Washington, D.C., January 20th, 1961, 12.51 p.m. The man with fewer than three years to live has his left hand on the Bible. Chief Justice Earl Warren stands before him reciting the presidential oath of office. Do you, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear? I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear, the new president repeats in a clipped Boston accent. His gaze is directed at the jurist whose name will one day be synonymous with Kennedy's own death. The new president, born into wealth, has a refined manner of speaking that would seem to distance himself from the electorate, but he is an enthusiastic and easily likable man's man. He joked openly about his father's vast riches during the campaign, diffusing that divisive issue with humor and candor so that average Americans would trust him when he spoke about making America better. Poor men in West Virginia heard a man from Boston say he needed their help and they gave it. In the alien corn of Nebraska, with a familiar chopping motion of his right hand, he explained that America can be greater, and the farmers knew what he meant, one writer noted of Kennedy's broad appeal. But not everyone loves JFK. He won the popular vote over Richard Nixon by a razor-thin margin, garnering just 49% of that tally. Those farmers might have known what Kennedy meant, but 62% of Nebraskans voted for Nixon. That you will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. 80 million Americans are watching the inauguration ceremony on television. 20,000 more are there in person. Eight inches of thick, wet snow have fallen on Washington, D.C. overnight. The Army had to use flamethrowers to clear the roads. The sun now shines on the Capitol building, but a brutal wind strafes the crowd. Spectators wrap their bodies in sleeping bags, blankets, thick sweaters, and winter coats, anything to stay warm. But John Kennedy ignores the cold. He has even removed his overcoat. At age 43, JFK exudes fearlessness and vigor. His lack of coat, top hat, scarf, or gloves is an intentional ploy to burnish his athletic image. He is trim and just a shade over six feet tall with greenish-gray eyes, a dazzling smile, and a deep tan thanks to a recent vacation at his family's Palm Beach home. While JFK looks like the picture of health, however, his medical history has been troubling. Kennedy has already been administered the last rites of the Roman Catholic Church on two separate occasions. His medical woes will continue to trouble him in the years to come. And will to the best of your ability, and will to the best of my ability. In the sea of dignitaries and friends arrayed all around him, there are three people vital to JFK. Straight ahead is his younger brother and reluctant choice for Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy. The president values him more for his honesty as an advisor than for his legal ability. He knows Bobby will always tell him the truth, no matter how brutal it may be. Behind the president is the new vice president, Lyndon Johnson. It can be said, and Johnson himself believes, that Kennedy won the presidency because of this tough, tall Texan. Without Johnson on the ticket, Kennedy might never have won the Lone Star State and its treasure trove of 24 electoral votes. As it was, the Kennedy-Johnson ticket won by the slender margin of 46,000 votes in Texas, a feat that must be replicated 
if Kennedy is to win a second term. Finally, the new president spies his young wife, just behind Justice Warren's left shoulder. Jackie Kennedy is radiant in her suit and matching hat. Dark brown hair and a fur collar frame her online face. Her amber eyes sparkle with excitement. She is not showing a hint of fatigue despite staying up until 4 a.m. The booze flowed freely at pre-inaugural celebrations thrown by the likes of Frank Sinatra and Leonard Bernstein. Jackie returned to their house in Georgetown long before the parties wound down, but her husband did not accompany her. When Jack finally showed up just before 4 a.m., he found his wife wide awake, too excited to sleep. As the snow continued to fall on the stranded motorists and the impromptu bomb fires lining the streets of Washington, the young couple sat together in early morning conversation. He told her about a late dinner organized by his father, and they talked with excitement about the inauguration ceremony. It would be an extraordinary...